Welcome to Guest Getter, the best place for restaurateurs to learn the art and science of getting more new guests, getting guests coming back more often, and getting guests spending more per visit so that you can be more profitable and do more of what you love. My name's Kyle Guilfoyle. Let's hit it. Today, we're joined by Dane Walker, who is the founder and CEO of Victory Front Media and the newly minted Rival.co. That's R-I-V-Y-L.co. He's a brand strategist and has an absolutely rabid fan base of 260,000 followers on Instagram, and he grew that account in just a couple of short years. So we're going to talk about how restaurants can get more out of Instagram. We're also going to do a bit of a live Instagram audit. And we're going to dive into Dane's entrepreneurial journey, which I find very inspiring, and I think you might too. Enjoy the show. Dane, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing good. It's a little cold this morning, but I'm, I'm happy otherwise. Awesome, man. Uh, yeah. So you're, you're in Australia, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm based out of a, a little country town called Bannockburn. It's about an hour away from Geelong. And Geelong is about an hour away from, from Melbourne. Uh, but as Americans say, Melbourne. Yeah. <laughs> Just so you know, uh, we're, I'm, well, I'm not American. I'm, I'm Canadian. Um, but uh, I digress. What, how would you describe your zone of genius? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly don't want to put a label on myself as, as genius. But um, where, where my field of, I guess, study and, and I, I like to think of myself as a student. Uh, I'm a student of student ending, uh, marketing, and uh, my hobbies would be psychology and sales. But if if I was to to put a label on something that I, I, I'm striving to be as best as I possibly can at, it's it's brand strategy and helping companies uh, with creative thinking to solve all their problems, whether it's financial design or uh, oftentimes just cultural. You know, uh, we love. We love creative thinking for, for companies, and it's something that most companies lack. Love that. And what's a, what would you say is one thing about brand strategy most people don't know, but they probably should? Yeah, I think oftentimes when people, you know, um, uh, you know, again, like branding is is such a vague thing. Like it's so vague for people to grab. Uh, but the it's most also, common. It's hard, it's hard to measure too, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. It's hard. It's hard to measure. It's it's vague. Um, it's not as clear and concise as marketing because marketing is like you know a defined ROI or a defined diagnosis or you know a very tactical strategy and and, and things of that nature. But branding is a lot more. Um, it's a lot more. I guess right brain thinking. It's a lot more. You know, you don't just go A B C D E F G. You go A Z J K I E. You know, you you kind of bounce around a bit. Um, you know, it's very creative, it's very dynamic. Um, but if I could simplify it, uh, with, with the best analogy I could, I'm like, this, this is branding. Okay. So imagine, um, you, you know, you open up your Netflix, you go to the comedy section, you see a, a comedian with a nice title, you click on it. The comedian walks out on stage, grabs the microphone and, and yells into the microphone. I'm like, I'm really funny. Like, listen to me. I'm hilarious. I'm really funny. And then is annoyed when the audience don't laugh. Mm -hmm. That's how most companies approach branding. They think branding is telling people who they are, what the audience should think and get upset and disgruntled when it doesn't work. That's typically 
how, how most companies approach branding is as like a bad comedian. The good comedian, on the other hand, is how we try to help companies um, uh, approach their audience. And, and it's, it's, you know, you go onto Netflix, you click on the comedy section, you choose, you know, a nice title. And uh, the comedian walks out on stage, grabs a microphone and says a joke. So then the audience feel like they want to react on their own regard because they thought it was funny. Meaning that if you're a business owner and you're creating something for the world, are you creating something for the world to react to? Or are you trying to tell the world who you are, what you do and why they should care? You, branding is not you telling people. Um, you know, Branding is, is creatively, uh, you know, cre- creating some type of collaborative of design, business, target. Like it's bringing a lot of pieces together to go, how can we create something that's going to spark a reaction from those we want attention from? Um, you know, whether that's through creative content, whether that's through running a really funny ad campaign, uh, whether that's through having a, a website designed that is just blowing people's minds, whatever that execution is, it's, it's coming through the thought process of how can we create reaction versus how do we convert ROI? That makes, that makes sense. And I, I think if I were to distill it down to, to one thing, it's really, um, it's really about showing people you know, what you stand for and what you do as opposed to telling them or shouting at them what it is. Um, and uh, it also reminds me of the analogy of like, you know, a lion doesn't have to tell anyone it's a lion. It's just a fucking lion, you know? And um, yeah. yeah, so no, I, I, I love that. And, and also I, I, I believe that the branding does inform the marketing in a big way and the two are, two are you know, fundamentally intertwined. So um, yeah, I, I, I love that. And, um, you know, something else about you is that you have, you, you've done, a, you've achieved a lot in a really short time. Like you grew the crap out of your Instagram following. I mean, I think you're now at, you know, almost a quarter of a million followers, but you did a lot of that in, in like a very short time span. And, and the same goes for your, for your agency. I, I think you, you built it or you grew it to like, you know, seven figures in like less than a year. And so what, strikes me about that is that you are a man of action and I have I've been looking into fear a lot lately and uh, and you know how it how it holds us back it keeps us small and um, as a person who has taken a lot of action I can't help but think that you have you know you have been confronted by fear and so I would if it's okay with you I'd love to I'd love for you to share a point where you were, you know, quite afraid. And um, yeah, I don't know. Would, would, would you be able to jam out on that a bit? Like when, a point Definitely, yeah. when you had a lot yeah. of fear. Happy, happy to talk about literally anything, man. Um, yeah. So I guess, you know, if I could think back to my earliest memories, because again, like a lot of my behavior comes from my childhood mm-hmm. and um, you know, as, as a child, as a, as a little, you know, a little, a little Dane uh, you know, the world was a very scary place for me as a child. And um, I distinctly remember waking up, I think I was four and I was in a different house and um, there was, you know, naked people passed out. There was drugs on the table. There's cocaine. There's, a, you know, like this is very graphic guys, but like, you know, this is, a, I'm, I'm four and a half years old and I'm looking around. I don't know where I am. I don't know where my mom is. I don't know what's happened. And, um, you know, I very quickly realized that my mom was one of the people passed out on the couch. So like as a child, 
uh, I was thrusted into a, an environment of chaos, you know, so my mother and um, my future stepfather, like, I think this, my stepfather came into my life when I was, I think I was six and a half, you know, both of them were alcoholics, drug addicts, and uh, we probably moved, you know, I, I can't even, I can't even count how many times I moved from the age of three till, you know, to, to my adolescence now, I've probably moved cities, houses, locations, north of 60 times at this point. And, um, but yeah, as a child, I remember living in tents, caravans, uh, sleeping in the back of the car quite often, you know, those times where myself and my mother were homeless. Um, you know, she was, you know, you know, traveling and like, again, like this is quite graphic and I'm not trying to turn any, any listeners off from, but you know, for me as a child, it was scary, you know, you know, when you're, when you're a child and you need, you know, that nurture and that love and support and connection from that, you know, that, that, that parent and they're focused on, you know, abusing themselves with alcohol and all kinds of crazy chaos. Fear was just normal. Like it was just as weird as it sounds, normal was foreign to me. So everything was scary. People were scary, moving all the time, constantly going to new schools. That was terrifying. New teachers all the time, um, new people in the house all the time, man. It was just, it was, it was almost like through immersion. I, I just, it just became my normal. It just became, if chaos was ensuing around me, I was calm. I was like, yeah, this is, to me as a child, that was normal. So again, I, I just have to, I have to share that because it just adds context to when, when chaos is ensuing in my life currently, I'm calm because it's, it's something that that's not new to me. It's been there for a long time. So through, through my teenage years, you know, a lot of bullying, a lot of like me being the black sheep, man. And I was a weird kid straight up. Like I was a weird teenager. I was not normal. Like I was, you know, very creative, very out of the box, black sheep, quite quiet and reserved. Mm -hmm. So again, like I wasn't really easy to connect with. Um, but the, the gifting of that, as much as that sounds like a negative story, I think when other people are breaking down and I'm faced with an onslaught of challenges, I just kind of like feel like at peace. You know, it's, 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 it's nothing compared to the pain I've been in, in the past. And it's kind of, if you will, I'm perhaps a little bit numb to it. Let's be real. Um, but again, that's a superpower. That's something that I look at and sincerely say, had I not had that experience, I wouldn't be this person I am today. So I am truly grateful. Um, you know, I've forgiven my mother, you know, we, we speak, uh, we're on good terms and, uh, you know, and I've thanked her for it because honestly, like had that not ensued, I wouldn't be where I am now to skip now into the business world. You know, the business world is full of fear, right? And fear of failing, fear of, uh, letting people down, fear of, customers not liking you fear of not being able to execute work to the to the desire of your customer fear of paying your bills fear of hiring people fear of expanding and you know i've had a plethora of fears over the last you know the last 16 months so you know uh, i guess rewinding to two years ago you know we were heavily in debt this is how broke i was two years ago i remember calculating how much um money I had for fuel and then, and literally calculating how many kilometers I had to drive in my car that, that week wow. and, and, and right down to the dollar. Okay. I need $87 fuel and, and 68 cents and I can't drive anywhere else. If I need to get anything else, like I, I got to make one trip to the supermarket. Like this is how broke we were, dude. And I remember going to work and being in my job. And um, if I had forgotten my lunch that day, 
I didn't eat, you know, so I, I couldn't afford to go across the road to the cafe. Like I was like only two years ago, broke, like nothing, you know? So for me to, to, to take that leap from being in that position to starting a business and to have the rapid acceleration that I've had until this date has been terrifying. <laughs> like it's not, it's not being easy. It's not being fun. And uh, it, it, it certainly had its perks and its rewards, but running a company from the ground up this fast is literally like blisteringly difficult. Um, yeah. So I'll let you jump in here, but I guess to summarize, put a bow in that, um, the, the, the scariest thing I, I sincerely think is, is leaving your security of your job. When you have financial responsibilities, you have a fiance at that point, I had a baby on the way um, to, 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 to jump from that uh, to what I have now, like to, to leave my job and to pursue this, that was the scariest thing. Like letting go of my job and my security and going out on my own was terrifying every moment of it. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, in that, that leap that you took, that's, there's something very mysterious there that I think happens to human beings that is hard to put your finger on. And, and I, I'm going to, well, I mean, maybe it's not for you. I actually have a feeling that maybe it has something to do. I don't want to make any assumptions, but what, how, how did you like, what was the impetus for you to go from, you know, hardly being able to afford lunch to taking that leap? Like what, like what compelled you to, to do that? Yeah. So, um, I, I started posting content on my Instagram. It was performing really well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't necessarily have an arsenal of clients. I just had, you know, Hey, can you do a $50 poster? Can you do a logo for me for a hundred dollars? Just little things like that. And, uh, there was this one individual, uh, his name is Mario and, and he, he saw my content. Um, and he, he reached out to me and he, you know, long story short, he's like, Hey, like, I love your content. Um, you know, uh, let's, let's, let's connect, got on a call. And uh, he's like, hi, you know, I'm, I'm Mario. I'm from New York. He's got this big beard. He's quite, quite burly, you know, in, intimidating guy. And uh, he told me, he's like, I run this agency. I have a lot of clientele in the real estate sector. I need someone to run my content. Um, you know, Dane, would you consider running my content? W- what can I do for you? And I was like, well, you know, I, I work a full-time job. It's going to be very difficult, Mario, to do what all was your content. Job? by the way, I was working in a uh, selling, selling mobile phones and uh, internet. Yeah. Yeah. So I was working in a retail shop, selling mobile phones to, to customers that, that would come in. Um, it, it's a, it's a company here in Australia called Telstra, um, which is our biggest telecom provider, uh, in, in Australia. So you got some sales training there. I, I bet you're good at it. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't necessarily get my sales training there. Um, I, I've, I'd certainly, have been a sales enthusiast for the better part of a, a, a decade and a half. Um, you know, I have, you know, I have tried to, to launch companies in the past where I had made money previously. Um, but I just kind of, you know, I, I wasn't yet equipped at that point to, to know how to quick, you know, to, 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 build a, to, to build a business successfully. So like going back, I think, I think eight years, nine years ago, I did network marketing and uh, I recruited 2,500 people into my network marketing business in the period of two years. Um, and I traveled across Australia. I made a lot of money doing that, but I hated it. It just wasn't, again, I, I learned so much from it, but it just wasn't, it, it served me so well. And I definitely don't regret it. And, I, and I'm so glad I, I went down that route. Uh, but I picked up a lot of networking 
sales and leadership skill set through that two years of intensity of doing that. And I did that full time. Um, but after that, I went back into the workspace and I had racked up a lot of debt over the, the period of that seven years um, prior to the network marketing and the network marketing. I just, I just spent lavishly. I spent stupidly. And, and um, again, to my childhood, I didn't have much structure. So money to me was just um, not necessarily a huge priority. It was just something, as soon as I got it, I spent it. If I could get a credit card, I would, you know, so I wasn't intelligent. Um, but to fast forward to now to, you know, to how did I jump that chasm? I talked to Mario. Mario said, what do you want? I said, Mario, I need $3,500 a month um, to quit my job. If I'm even going to consider making your content for free, I'm too busy. I, you know, I'd love to, but man, I got to make money. I got to make bread. He goes, I'll take care of it. Called me the next day, said I had six clients on six month retainers. There's your 3,500. There's their contracts. They're committed. I'm not going to let you go without food. Quit your job. And, uh, you know, so again, like here's this guy with a beard from New York on the other side of the world who I've just met telling me to quit my job. And uh, I haven't even met the customers yet. Um, and I certainly didn't have the time to do the work for the customers. So this is one of those weird moments where, I was phased. It was, it was not logical. If I was a logical person, I probably would have declined it, would have got overwhelmed. Uh, but my gut instinct said, do it. I, you know, I disliked my job so much and it was so terrifying. Um, but you know, something in me said, you got this back yourself, get after it. And, and I'm so glad I did because yeah, the invoices started rolling in. Uh, I, I put in my two weeks resignation for my job. And it was probably the hardest two weeks of my life, you know, working and, and doing um, a lot of stuff for about 12 hours a day, coming home at night and then working like, I'm not even kidding, like six, seven, eight hours after a 12 hour day um, to try to keep these customers happy for that two week period. Uh, while I literally didn't see my fiance at all. I was just working like, like a, like a slave, man. I was working like a slave. Um, but, but the thing is like, uh, had I not taken that leap, I don't think I would have been on this rapid trajectory. Um, and it, yeah, that was probably the scariest moment of my life. Because again, had that flopped, I wouldn't have been able to pay rent. Um, you know, I had no runway. Uh, you know, so th there's always that talk about have a runway first. I certainly encourage you if you can get a runway, start there. Uh, but I, dude, I jumped in head first without a runway. Um, and I, I just kind of lucked out. So there's a bit of luck involved. There's a bit of serendipity uh, and there's a bit of just stupid, stubborn determination. Yeah. Amazing. That's an amazing story. Uh, and I'm, well, I'm, I'm briefly, I'm curious. So uh, for my own, my own sake, uh, you, you had six clients. He, he handed you six clients for 3,500 bucks a month, basically. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He did all the work and just handed them to me. And uh, yeah. And then I just took off. I, I took care of him. And um, I kept all of them for six months and they're all happy. And, and uh, I think three of them renewed after the six months. Um, so yeah, it, it worked out fantastic. Yeah. Amazing. And now, um, and now fast, fast forward to, to today, what, uh, could, would you be able to paint a bit of a picture of, of what your, what your business looks like today? Yeah. So I freelanced for quite a while. Um, it got to the point where I, I made $40,000 in one month by myself as a freelancer full-time. And um, I, I, I seeked a mentor who had run an agency for, for Disney and, and Fox studios and Warner brothers. And I was like, what a great mentor. They've run an agency. Um, and, uh, you know, I, again, I was saving all my money. 
I paid off all my debt. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I set myself up with some nice equipment. I had a crappy laptop that was missing keys. I bought a nice Mac. Um, and I started buying books. And it, it, the first thing I started doing is upskilling myself immediately, buying books, courses, coaching. Uh, you know, I just, I, I realized I had a, I had a wind of momentum and I wanted to do everything I could to keep it. And, uh, you know, fortunately I'm 16 months strong into the business and I've kept the winds going so far. Um, but yeah, I, I got the mentor. I talked to him and I said, look, I'm, this is the type of money I'm making. And I'm working, you know, 18, 19 hour days. He's like, that's awesome. You're a beast. Hire people. <laughs> like, that's pretty much it. He's like, go hire a team. Like, what are you doing, man? Like reinvest that money back into the company um, and pay yourself a wage pretend you're an employee and, um, and put the rest of the money back in the company, run, run ads, build a website, you know, all that type of stuff. So I jumped from, from freelancing into to hiring people. Again, that was scary because now it's like, uh, you know, I, I'm responsible for a customer, but now I have a, an, a complete stranger who's just joined my team, who I'm just getting to meet now taking care of my customers who I've worked tremendously hard to keep. Um, that leap was difficult, you know, because again, you know, when you're not, you're not always talking to the customer and someone else is that creates a different dynamic, creates different problems. Um, but fast from fast forward from that point, I think it's been nine months now. Um, and we now have a team of 14 people and we build, you know, logos, websites, uh, we do brand naming, we build brands, we build identities, brand strategy, we do marketing, marketing deployment, we run adverts, uh, we manage accounts, we create content. You know, we do a lot of stuff. We do SEO, copywriting, the works. Um, our our hyper focus is branding, but you know, the interesting thing is as more clients came in and as the clientele became bigger and more important, um, so too, we had to make sure that we had the team and, and the capability to look after that clientele. So um, we're in the process of hiring again. And um, I'm, I'm very grateful. My background is in, I've done, you know, over a decade in sales. Um, I've been involved in leadership since I was 17. Uh, I was, I was a youth pastor of, of a youth group when I was, uh, when I was 20, um, and, sorry, 19, turning 20. And uh, we had, I had a hundred, hundred drug addicted teenagers that I was responsible for at the age of 19. So I'm very grateful, you know, so there's a lot of color that I don't want to go into too much detail here, but there's a lot of reasons why uh, I can, I can grow this fast. And, and uh, sincerely, my strengths are leadership, um, being a vision caster, um, getting people on board, developing strong culture, you know, um, knowing how to run the numbers, knowing how to market, knowing how to keep a customer happy. There's so many moving pieces. So again, like, I just want to make this realistic. I've, I've been working my ass off since I was, since I was 15 to try to, to try to learn entrepreneurship. And um, it's a long road and it requires a lot of effort, but, but yeah, just to add context, like this is the tip of the iceberg. There's so much that came before this to, to put me in this position. Restaurant owners, operators, and managers, before we continue with the episode, I want to ask you a question. Do you know if your marketing is working? Most restaurant owners are relying solely on organic social media and word of mouth marketing. While these are both powerful, they ultimately leave the growth of your restaurant to chance. You can't control algorithms and you certainly can't control what people do, but you can use a system that will have a huge impact over time. I'd love to show you the guest magnet method. It's a simple but cohesive system that will accelerate the growth of your restaurant in a way that you can measure. It is backed by 
ROI, a return on your investment. If you want to learn about the most powerful way to grow your restaurant sales this year, send an email to kyle at guestgetter.co with magnet in the subject line, and I'll get you all the details. All right, back to the show. For, for sure. Um, I think you'll appreciate this as a brand guy. You know Debbie Millman? Yeah. Yeah, actually, I have a framed... Um, a framed graphic of her quote, it took a long time. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I definitely, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I try not to adopt it too much, but I, it is a good reminder because I do think that, um, uh, you know, from, from the people who I admire the most, uh, that seems to be very consistent. You know, someone like Debbie Millman says it took a long time. Ray Dalio says that uh, in general, things take three times as long as you expect them to. Um, so I, I just think it's 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 a good um, good mindset to adopt as you uh, as you're trying to to build things. Now, yeah, <clears throat> and and just to add to that as well, like I have to say, like the reason our team grew at this pace is not just because of me. Like uh, like I found fantastic people that are amazing at what they do, and as a team, we created this. So, you know, just to make this clear, I didn't do this on my own. Like I, I, I surrounded myself with people that are better at me at marketing, better at me at design, mm -hmm. better than me at, at copywriting, better than me at sales, you know, and, and putting the team together. My skill set is putting the people together, getting them to collaborate, opening up communication and leading that team. I think that's, that's my, that's what I bring to the table, but I, I got to say like, none of this would be uh, even remotely possible if, if we didn't have, if I wasn't surrounded by the, the team that I have. Yeah, for sure. Actually, I think, um, I think there's probably some insight to mine here around the fact that, so let me just, so you have victory front media and you're doing a lot of stuff. Like you're doing branding, but you're also doing SEO. And these are like very different, uh, different skills. Um, whereas, you know, at the moment, what I do with, with Guest Getter is I, I help them implement and manage a system that it, you know, it's, it's all the way from like, you know, getting attention all the way to a customer and measuring that, that um, you know, the, the impact of their marketing and also nurturing. But it's all like this, it's just a system, right? As opposed to like these moving parts. And I see... I see a parallel between what you do with like having a shit ton of moving parts and, you know, most restaurant owners who also have a shit ton of moving parts. And so I just have, a, I'm curious how you, how you stay sane with all the different things that you do and like, like what, do you have any pointers? Are, 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 do you have like a ton of standard operating procedures or like, yeah, well, how do you, how do you manage it all? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, the big three is culture. You got to mm -hmm. have the right, you got to have the right crew. Um, if you have bad culture, game over, man. Like, you got to have the right people. If there's anyone in your team that's toxic, disruptive, cancerous, uh, negative, get rid of them, cut them out. Um, you know, I've had to do that a few times, and uh, it's it's not an easy decision to make. Like, you know, the best hardest working, most devoted, um, you, who worked the most hours, who committed the most energy that you'd ever seen in your life as an employee, um, just didn't work out culturally. Um, so again, like culture comes first uh, before skill set and talent has to. Um, if the culture is not good, it, it, it's going to be, it's not going to be a fun place to work. No one's going to want to put in a hundred percent. So how do you create an environment where your team want to put in a hundred percent 
culture. They have to love what they do. They have to, they have to be excited to come into the workplace. That's got to, that's going to be the first thing. Uh, Once you have that, yeah, operating procedures for sure. You need structure. The first thing is culture. Second thing is structure. Okay. How do you create good culture? You got to have good structure. You got to have, you know, um, if, if your workplace is haphazard, like people don't know who to go for to things. People don't know how to do things. Customers unhappy. What do I do? If there's any, like, I don't know what to do. Holy shit moments for your team. Um, that, that, that's really a quick way to turn uh, a team alliance into a team of turtles hiding in their shell. You gotta have some structure. You gotta have systems. You gotta have procedures. And this stuff is not sexy. It's not fun to sit down and write procedures and, and, and processes. But the best example I could give is if you think about McDonald's, you know, a 13 year old um, could come into McDonald's and in, in one day they can make a Big Mac just as good as someone that's been there for 17 years, just as fast with the same ingredients to the same quality in the matter of like, what, an hour? They can make a Big Mac just as good as anyone else in the company who's been there for 17 years. How did McDonald's do that? They had a standard operating procedure. Follow these 10 simple steps and this is the result you're going to get. And if the customer's unhappy, this is what you do. McDonald's has a process and an operation for everything. And yeah, you could say, well, Dane, they're the biggest company in the world, X, Y, Z. Well, they were doing this day one. So go back to their first restaurant and their first kitchen. They were doing the exact same thing. And this is why they scaled was that they didn't do this at scale. They did this. This is, this is what got them to scale was their structure. Um, So you got to have structure. And if you're running a restaurant, you're running a team, you, your team needs to know what they're responsible for, who's responsible for what, how to do X, Y, Z, and, and take the time to teach them. Because, you know, you go to most, most workplaces, you'll find that the staff are unhappy because they haven't been taught effectively. Biggest problem in, in almost every workplace. And if you're the CEO that thinks that you've got it nailed, um, you know, th- throw arrogance to the curb because you should always be like, how can I improve our procedures? How can I train my team better every day? So we train our team every day. Every day we're training. Every day we're testing procedures. Um, and the third, the third thing is, um, is, is quality leadership. Um, so I've, I've stolen some pages out of Jocko Willink's book, which is the dichotomy of leadership and extreme ownership. They may, they may as well be one book. Um, and uh, yeah, it talks about uh, what Jocko calls it as, um, you know, decentralized command. So in the military, you know, you would think that whoever's running um, the operation uh, makes all the decisions. That's incorrect. If you're on a battlefield and there's a soldier on the front line and something's playing out that's not normal and that, that soldier has to know for himself or herself, what can they do in that situation to mitigate the threat, protect the team and succeed in the mission. So you have to have people making decisions at every level, but you have to make sure that the that people take ownership of their role. So one thing that's enabled us to be very successful at doing all these different things is I don't do SEO. Our web developer does SEO. Our web developer does it really well. They're passionate about it. They love it. They run it. It's their thing. Um, You know, uh, our designer, you know, I don't have to um, tell them how to make content. I've already trained them and they make content and they make decisions. So, you know, you have those leaders that try to involve themselves in every decision you know, and then all of a sudden their team stand around waiting for 
for orders, right? If your team are waiting for you to tell them what to do, you're probably either A, too overbearing or B, you haven't taught them how to think for themselves. So you have to have a self-sufficient team. It's the difference between having a SWAT team. Everyone knows their role. You got a sniper. You've got someone kicking in the door. You've got people with rifles. You've got the, the radio man. You know, you've got people clearing rooms. Everyone knows their role. Um, everyone's making their own decisions simultaneously. There's a good brief beforehand about what's going to happen, what the mission is, what we need to go do. If you're running a company, you're the person putting together the mission. You don't want to be making every decision uh, as a SWAT team and suit on the household. You want to put the plan together and ask your team, hey guys, how are we going to most effectively execute this? And for example, if you run a restaurant, your bartenders will be like, hey man, here's a problem. This is what I think we should do to solve it. Okay, you go solve it. You know, and it's important to remove yourself to think, okay, well, I could do that better. Doesn't matter. If that person is confident to go operate it on their own and they're doing it proficiently, let them do it. And then and then correct them and guide them as they go. So um, the last thing I'll leave on that is the 80-20 rule. So your team will only ever do anything to 80% of your satisfaction. That's all you can expect. You can't expect your team to be as 100% uh, qualified at what you do as you do it. Um, so the people that are like, let's just say you have a manager, your manager is only ever going to get things 80% to the proficiency of what you expect. You're going to help them with the last 20%. And the people that they're responsible for, they need to understand that manager or, or you know, that restaurant manager needs to understand, okay, uh, my, my fleet of staff, they're never going to do anything as good as the restaurant manager because, well, they're the restaurant manager because they're good at what they do but they have to be very vigilant in understanding, okay, that team member is operating at 40%. That team member is operating at 60%. These two team members are operating at 80%. Let me put the lower percentage people with the 80% people to try and get better culture happening. And then let me try to get them all to 80%. And that's my job as a manager to keep everyone at 80%. I'll feed in the last 20% every time um, and, and just try to get your team to, to execute that. So yeah, just to recap, culture, you got to have good culture, got to have good structure and you got to have systematic leadership um, and decentralize yourself from all the decisions. Train your team to make their own decisions. People come to me and my team, Dane, what should I do with this? What's my reaction? What do you think? Well, I think, Dane, we should do this, this and this. Why? Because this will happen. Okay, do you think that's the best way to do it? Well, maybe if we did it this way, well, you tell me which one you think is better. Well, I want to go my original plan. Well, go execute it and come back to me. You know, so I'm not even making a decision. I'm just installing confidence that they need to go do it themselves. And guess what? If they make a mistake, awesome. Because they're going to come back, Dan, it, it just went completely sideways. Why did it go sideways? Well, these reasons. What can we do to mitigate that in the future? Well, had I planned this better, this wouldn't have happened. Well, who could plan that? Well, I'm going to get this team member to do it. Okay, you go get that team member, get them to help you with that. Come back to me, let me prove it. Uh, and if you're happy with it, we can go execute that again. So again, they're making mistakes, they're fixing them. Um, you know, so I try not to jump in the ring. It's, it's a knee-jerk reaction if you're running a company to jump in and fix it yourself. You have to get into that, that you have to get really good at delegating. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. again, um, yes, you might lose a bit of money. Yes, you might have a disgruntled customer, but you have to have confidence that your team can learn and um, that's the only way to get them to 80%. Otherwise, you're doing 100%. Everyone's at 20% and you're, you're, you're stressed out beyond measure because people aren't pulling their weight. Um, but again, back to culture, if people are unwilling to pull their weight and unwilling to learn, get rid of them, bring someone else in. So you just have to have that good sense of culture. 
got to create structure for your team. Uh, you got to keep your finger on the pulse of culture. If culture starts going south, who's the, who's the corporate? How can I mitigate it? How can we get them back in ship shape? And if they continue to make the same bad behavioral mistakes, get rid of them. Yeah. I love all that. And I especially love that, you know, a lot of owner operators are, they're, they're really in the weeds of their business, right? It's like, it's very overhead capital intensive. Um, and so what you're talking about when there's decentralized command is you can actually sort of be more of an observer of the field of battle and what's going on. And then when you observe things, you can, you know, then you can make hypotheses and you can try things and you can say, okay, well, you know, uh, let's, let's do it this way. And this is what we expect to happen. And then we go do it. And then, and then we can observe, okay, this is the data and let's iterate and improve. And so I, I love that. And I think it's, it's exactly what so many, you know, bars and restaurants, I mean, it's, it's what like any business needs really, but um, yeah, but it, it, it's certainly in the bartending and, and, and business and restaurant space. Like I, I, I've sat in restaurants and I've watched their staff, like fumble this stuff. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I won't go back and eat there again because it makes you feel uncomfortable. But you know, I, I think um, y- yeah, you nailed it, man. And, and um, have, having that ability to step back, look at the field. Um, so this is what I call playing the field. And this is my IP. I, this is my content. Playing the field. Trademark. Yeah. Every every staff member should do this. Okay. So, you know, um, the dichotomy of leadership, that's Jocko's thing. Um, but this is how I do it. Playing the field is like, okay, step out of everything and, and zone way out, 80,000 feet above. What's happening here? Okay. This is happening over there. That's happening. It's almost like you want to, you don't want to hear the noise. You just want to kind of watch. So like being hyper observant. And, you know, when, when I was working in um, the Telstra shop, the, the, they actually they actually took this from me and they're like, that's so good. We're going to put that as a part of it. They, they literally, this huge uh, multi-billion dollar company were like, we're going to take that. That's that's awesome. So I remember sitting in the, in the Telstra shop and I would watch staff, you know, fumble with a client. Let's just say there's an upset client and like you can tell the staff members not doing a great job handling the disgruntled client. So I, I would I would go over to the client and say, hey, Mr. Client, would you like a cup of water? We've got some mints. How's your day going? And it would interrupt the client because they're, they're, they're disgruntled and all of a sudden there's someone offering them water, being kind to them. And they're like, yeah, I would like some, I would like some water. You bring some water to them and they're like, hey, Mr. Customer, here's a mint. How's your day going? How's your weekend being? Like, oh, it's been horrible. You know, this happened and that happened. I'm so sorry to hear that. That's, that's, that's awful. All of a sudden the client kind of relaxes and then the staff members, they feel supported because they're like, oh, I'm not on my own. My team member's here to help me. That's fantastic. The customer relaxes and more often than not, that, that customer would then brighten up and, and, and have a laugh with that, with that person. So playing the field of zooming out and just going, where are the problems? Where are the risks? What's happening? Where can I position myself to support the 20%? Okay, so um, that's, that's, it's, it's just looking at where should I be putting my 20% um, contribution? Because you can only be in one place giving one contribution to 20% at a time. And um, you just got to put out fires. Being a business owner, you're, you're a firefighter. You're putting out fires all day. Uh, and if, if, you, if you think being an entrepreneur and running a company is, is easy, it's not. It's not all delegation. It's you, you play in the field all day. Uh, it's a sport and you have, to, you have to be good at it. And you have to be very aware. For sure. Yeah. Um, no, I love the analogy to sport. I often say that it's a, we're getting guests kind of like it's a sport. And um, so um, we haven't even dove into this, but you know, one of the things you're 
quite well known for is is Instagram growth and you know really uh, dominating on Instagram. And really, it's just it's just another it's just a channel. You're you know you know it's a channel for 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 the brand and everything. So I thought that it'd be really fun um, to. Uh, to just do a couple of live audits and we'll do a screen record for those who are, you know, watching, um, but we'll also, you know, narrate uh, for those just listening. Um, so would, would, would you be down for that? Totally, man. Yeah. Uh, I've got some software here. I can, I can run some reports. Uh, it's, it's through, a, um, I'll give a plug uh, again. I don't make money for this <laughs> hype auditor. If you're listening, I would take a plug. Um, but yeah, there's this, there's this amazing piece of software called hype auditor uh, allows you to track and break down the statistics and data of someone's Instagram account. And, uh, oftentimes we have clients come to us with problems in their Instagram account. And very quickly, we find out that they have bots or fake they've bought followers or, or God knows what, um, it's not always the case, but it, it gives you, and again, this isn't, this doesn't completely solve the problem, but, um, yeah, I can look at some pages, uh, run a report and just kind of see, see what I, what I find. So, yeah. 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 We'll just see if there are like, you know, obvious opportunities or low hanging fruit, um, that kind of thing. And, uh, and also just, you know, what are the, what are the metrics that, you know, what are kind of benchmarks or like, yeah, anything like that. Awesome. Yeah. Who would you like to start with? Let's start with, um, let's start with a big, let's start with a big one. Shake Shack. Okay. All right. So I'm just going to, I'll dive on their Instagram page here. I guess we can have a look. Um, again, this is great. Cause I never, I never heard of this company. So this is completely, uh, completely new to me. So it looks like, yeah, a burger joint clearly cause of the logo. Um, Food looks delicious. It's very vi- inviting. It's very vi- vibrant and bright. Very bright. Um, there's there's certainly a theme here. Like there's there's a nice balance of color. Um, I, I like that. It's it's really interesting. It's a burger joint that uses the color green, which is it, it seems new to me. It seems fresh. Typically, you would see red and and yellow. Um, so I like that it feels fresh because of the color palette. Uh, certainly, the images, you know, like this one here certainly promotes that it's fresh and um, inviting and that you can see fruit in there. Yeah. It's, it's really welcoming. It seems really, it doesn't seem aggressive. It seems kind of inviting. I would certainly eat here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you scroll down their feed, it's, it's a good, uh, it's a good measure. They got some videos. They've got great photos. From, you can tell like customers have sent in photos and they've <laughs> featured yeah. them. Uh, you know, there's a cute photo of this kid it's interesting to look at. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a night, it's not the same thing every time. It's very good, fun. It's very fun. It's very fun. It's interactive. It's a, there's a lot to look at and each, each thing is unique. Um, so I'll just run a report here and then we can come back to their Instagram page. Uh, so this is, again, this is not my analytics. This is um, high ported, as you can see here, pulling data from this account. Um, the first thing I see here is it's um, it's got a good audience score. So 79 out of 100 is really good. Uh, it means that they they have an authentic and legitimate audience. You know, 750,000 followers is quite impressive. Um, you know, so they grow on by 7.8K per per month, which is pretty high. So it means that they're, they're getting a lot of um, engagement. Primarily their target is the US. Uh, if they were to do a sponsored post, it'd be worth at least $800. And if they did a feature for something, it'd be about $800. Uh, and they got a pretty big reach between 55K to 250K per post. So that's massive. That's a really good reach. Um, it's got a good engagement rate. And it's saying that um, 
basically it's scoring that the account is, is, is authentic. Um, so it's saying that it's got good likes, good comments. And this is, by the way, this is them extrapolating data from Instagram VPNs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got a good balance of male and female, predominantly adults. Um, yeah, so all around, like this is a really strong report. Um, so I'm just trying to see that the growth rate's been very consistent. Uh, so since December 2014, they've just been on a nice, easy growth trajectory. So they're doing really well. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, the, the, everything's organic. I don't see any suspicious activity. They've certainly not bought followers. Um, yeah. And, and again, it's saying that these are similar brands. They're similar mm-hmm. to Starbucks, Netflix. Yep. Yeah. So big, big, huge ass. Yeah. So this is big this budget. is Instagram. Instagram's identifying that um that that this brand is alike these brands. This is how smart Instagram is. It's trying to position this company. So mm-hmm. they're positioning themselves really well. Um, yeah. yeah, doing quite well. So I mean, back to the page. I mean, if there's anything that this company could improve on, uh, let's see. They've got. You know, they've got good stories. They're active. They're showing a lot of um, nature. Uh, I mean, I would like to see some more user-generated content. Um, but again, like for the for the, for this company, this, they're doing pretty well. Uh, there's yeah. not too much I could critique here. I, I like the, the the brightness. I like the, that they're sticking to a color palette. And uh, I think this will, you know, no wonder they're doing so well. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, I think that a qualifier there is like huge, huge budget. Shake Shack's been around for a while. Um, so yeah, so why don't we do a quick, uh, quick look at, uh, Squire pub London, my buddy, my buddy, Chris in, uh, in London, Ontario. Awesome. So let's check it out. Um, g'day Chris from Australia. Cool. So landing on the account, um, immediate impression before I've even read anything is it's quite dark. Mm-hmm. Um, the color palette's quite, quite dark. It's, it's not as inviting for me. Um, I would say that you know, a picture like this kind of feels a bit horror movie-esque. Um, sorry, Chris, say with love, my friend. It just, it doesn't feel, it, it, yeah, it's, it's worlds apart from, from where I was before. Again, it's probably a different demographic. Mm-hmm. I certainly love attending bars and I love pub food, um, but I, I'm, I'm not personally find this massively inviting for, my, for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, just going for a quick scroll. It just feels like a big advert. Um, I think with the overlay, local lives here uh and the logo being stamped on everything for me it's just it just feels like an ad i feel i feel like this is just a giant um like coupon yeah uh, advertisement yeah i feel and what do you think of this i feel like you don't need to put your logo on instagram posts because it's just like it's it's there anyway i don't know what do you think yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, if, if you do make it like really small, I, I just don't think it needs to be stamps, um, especially with food. Food needs to be really like welcoming. I think that this is, it's, it's overly contrasted. So I can't see yeah, the, details. The, the, the details. Um, again, it's not square. Um, so it looks like the content doesn't belong on Instagram. Um, I certainly would like to see either a tall or a, a square image. And I want to see the details of the food, you know, um, this one's obviously the details, but again, I, I feel like this content was recycled from Facebook or, or LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, and, and something like this is just not appealing to me. So again, I think the photography needs finessing. 
um, I would remove the um, all the, the graphic overlays, uh, and I would remove the feeling of it being a paywall. So, you know, I, I'm a fan of content. Just the picture speaks for itself. You're not having to really vocalize that there's a deal going down. Because mm -hmm. from my opinion, people don't really want to be sold to. They're not on Instagram to to buy things. They're on Instagram because they want entertainment. Mm -hmm. They want to learn stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I feel like if this came up in my feed, I'd just swipe right on past it. Yeah. Um, so I'll just run an audit on this. And again, Chris, this is said with love. I hope this helps you, my friends. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, I'm talking to you the exact same way I would talk to a client. Um, so your hype order to report, going for a quick um, walk through this. Uh, again, the audience score is pretty low. Uh, it says 25 score out of 100. So Instagram, so this is not me. This is Instagram Instagram thinks that your content is poor quality. Um, so again, you have to win the favorability of the algorithm to succeed on the platform. Um, and it's saying the estimated reaches between 100 and 1.5K uh, per post. Um, so whatever you post, Chris, it's going to be uh, probably only maybe 5% of your audience are going to see it max. So even though you have 3.1K followers, um, Instagram saying that the quality is maybe 2.1K. Um, the engagement rate for the size of the account is quite low um, and Instagram is not seeing any growth. So if there's no growth being seen, Instagram is going to find it hard to be favorable. I think um, I also think that's an important point that a lot of people don't realize is that um, the algorithm and how you, how it perceives you to behave with it, uh, if that makes sense, uh, will will determine how much of your audience will actually see your content. So they, they'll throttle, you know, how much, how many people you can reach based on like, you know, are you, what, what are those things that, um, that affect that like, like consistency, um, you know, engagement rate, is it, is it a bunch of things? Yeah, I think it's a bunch of things like, like looking at this audit here and I'll send this to you and you can forward this to Chris, but um, you know, it, it's just saying that the, it, it knows that your your audience are not really enjoying your content, right? Um, so it says that some of your recent comments don't look on in, look in the authentic. So it's it's flagging that it may, Instagram might think that you have bots on your account. It. Um, it it knows that people don't the people that do follow you don't engage. Um, so again, it's just it doesn't look good for the health uh, for the healthy. And the cool thing is you could totally turn this around because you've got you've got two thousand real audience. It's just, it's as simple as pivoting your content. It's just putting out content that's vibrant, inviting, makes the food exciting. Um, you know, run competitions, um, not on the, the, the feed, but maybe in your stories and invite your audience to make content for you. They can win gift vouchers and prizes. Um, so you can actually have your customers do the work for you, get them to make content. Um, but yeah, take off the overlays. And, and I would say, try to make the, the content a bit more simplified, not not full of messaging um just try to create tasty value for people uh that that's my feedback for that but yeah ho hopefully these, these these two audits and and this these are these two are a great comparison because um and again i don't like comparing people but as you can see there's a company that's that's obviously succeeding and, and blown out because of they're doing things right with their branding and uh, in, in chris's case is there's some work to be done but uh the the first step in marketing is diagnosis the first step in marketing is acknowledging what the broken things are and then building a plan about how to navigate yourself out of that. 
Love that. Yeah. Thank, thank you so much for, for doing that, Dane. And uh, thank you so much for uh, taking the time today. Uh, is there, say, is there anything I should have asked you, but I didn't? No, I think, you know, I always have a good conversation with you, Kyle. I always enjoy hanging out with you, man. Um, and this has been, this has been really fruitful for me too, because I think sometimes, you know, being asked these questions, um, it allows me to kind of think out loud and, and, and solve some of my own problems. But yeah, hopefully I brought some value. I think if I could leave um, on, on a positive note on everything we discussed with the, with the branding here, guys, branding is about, you know, um, being, being truthful to yourself and, and, and really looking at things through a fine tooth comb and not trying to be negative, but it's, it's what we call black hatting. So in, in that case there, you know, I, I don't want to rag on, on Chris, but it's, it's, we want to put on that black hat and go, cool. What are the risks here? What are the problems here? What are the challenges? Let's just, let's just pull it out in the open. Then once they're out in the open, it's like, well, how can we navigate ourselves back to being again at the start of the call? How can we be the good comedian? So the good comedian is, and, you know, going out on stage and creating something that drives a reaction versus trying to tell people how you want them to react and how you want them to think. So two really good examples there. Uh, it's a matter of going into that creative thinking and going, okay, rather than marketing on Instagram, how can I create content on Instagram that creates an opportunity for people to want to talk to me? Uh, I, I think if we start there um, and, um, and pivot into that, that's, if anyone wants to increase the optimization and, and the performance of their Instagram page or any social media page, um, you know, ask your consumers, like go to the consumers and pick out a hundred people and go, Hey, what do you think of our content? Oh, I don't really, I don't really engage with it. Why not? Oh, it doesn't really speak to me. You know, ask them if you have that, if you get really close to your audience, ask them what they think, ask them what they would like to see ask them what they think you're good at and what they think you're a specialist at and get them to give you their raw, honest opinion. Um, a lot of companies are scared to go talk to the consumers, but this is, this is how you get a Jeff Bezos. This is how you get a Steve Jobs. This is how you get companies that are just monstrous in the competitive branding space is because they talk to their consumers, mm -hmm. they listen and they pivot their, their business accordingly. Um, so I would encourage anyone that owns a restaurant or, or, or a bar or anything for that matter, talk to consumers, ask them what they want to see on the social space, let them tell you what they want and, and let that drive your decision-making. It's going to make it a, a lot better for your marketing campaign than, um, than, than trying to trying to tell them. Sure. Uh, and is there anywhere where people can go to learn more about you? Yeah, my Instagram page. Um, I, I give away all this stuff free every day on my Instagram page. Um, you know, we've launched a podcast um, where, where we, where we talk to people that are specialists in the branding space. Um, I'm, I'm now starting to write blogs, We've got a book coming out, you know? Um, so I very much intend just to continue to pour out free content for anyone that wants to, to consume it. Um, but just look me up at Dane Walker on, uh, on Instagram, D-A-I-N Walker, uh, hit me up, send me a DM. If you want to talk, talk to me, I'll talk to you. Uh, it, it will be me. It's not a team member. And, um, Kyle, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you, man. Amen. Thanks so much. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks so much, man.